Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, it happens too damn often. There are far too many mass shootings in this country. In fact, they happen so often we tend to take them for granted. And yet there was something especially painful about last Saturday's mass shooting in Buffalo, New York. Not only 13 people shot, 10 of them fatally, but 11 out of 13 were black and targeted by the gunmen only because they were black. It was an outright racist attack, motivated, the young killer admitted, by a crackpot idea called the Great Replacement Theory. The idea that Democrats or Jews or both are deliberately working to take political power away from white people and give it to African-Americans and other people of color. I found one of the best analyses of the Great Replacement Theory in a political newsletter called Popular Information, founded by Judd Legum, a brilliant young journalist I worked closely with when he was editor-in-chief at Think Progress, the Center for American Progress. In Popular Information, his newsletter, Judd Legum provides great reporting and important background on the major news stories of the day. And today, we're lucky to have him bring that wealth of information to us here on the Bill Press Pod. Judd Legum, it's been a long time since Think Progress, but it's really good to connect again. Good to be back with you. Thank you. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. So uh, I want to start with Monday's edition of the uh, newsletter, your newsletter, Popular Information. We were all stunned over the weekend by this mass murder up in Buffalo. Young um, killer inspired, as he says, by what's called the Great Replacement Theory. Uh, You dive into that in the Monday edition of Popular Information. It's been around a long time. Uh, Tell us, what's it all about and where'd it come from? This is something that's been circulating for decades. It has its root deeply in racism, prejudice, anti-Semitism. And the idea is that there is a plot. Uh, Sometimes it's by Jews. Uh, More recently, it's by Democrats, uh, but also Jews. And the idea is that they are plotting to replace white people with non-white people as a way to achieve political power. Uh, and this was something that was promoted in the 40s uh, here in the United States by a United States senator, by others, uh, and then kind of was revived in, in the 70s and 80s in France, really in response to migration and the trends of migration in Europe um, through 
a very racist novel called The Camp of Saints uh, mm -hmm. and also um, some French philosophers who uh, latched on to it. And then more recently, of course, it's been imported into United States politics. We saw it probably most vividly in 2017 in Charlottesville when the white supremacist marchers were chanting, you will not replace us. So and that should, that should have been a warning right, side right there. Uh, or the other version of it, the yeah, Jews will not replace us, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But then what we've really seen since then, it's been about five years since then, is really the mainstreaming of this. And that's what I talked about uh, mostly in today's newsletter was you know, the mainstreaming. There's been a lot written about Tucker Carlson. There was a New York Times uh, expose on what his show is all about. He's, he's referenced this over 400 times when the ADL called him out. He rejected that doubled down on it. But, and I think Carlson's played a big part of this, it has really been incorporated into lots of what would ordinarily be considered mainstream Republican voices mm -hmm. who have adopted this rhetoric. Right. Uh, and it's become somewhat uh, ubiquitous, uh, all the way to the point where almost 50% of Republicans actually believe this Replacement theory, which started off as a fringe white nationalist conspiracy theory, is now accepted by almost 50 percent of Republicans. So it's a very troubling trend. Right. I mean, it, it, we, we remember uh, the crazy Steve King from Iowa, right, was kind sure. of a, yeah. an exponent of this. But he was out there, as you point out, on the fringe, right, the extreme right. I mean, now it's come into the mainstream. And in your uh, newsletter, you identify um, leading Republicans who have espoused this theory publicly, including Ron Johnson, right, from Wisconsin, um, Matt Gates from Florida, and even Elise Stefanik from New York, who's the third-ranking House Republican. And they say this stuff and get away with it, right? Yeah, it's really a rebranding of this kind of racial grievance, which was the purpose of the theory all along. Mm -hmm. And they're very unapologetic about it, even in the face. You know, one thing that actually shocked me as I was as I was looking into this is even after the shooting, you have uh, Blake Masters, who's running for Senate in Arizona uh, with ten million dollars from billionaire Peter Thiel, uh, who's pushing the replacement theory after the shooting. So there isn't really much soul searching going on. There's not a lot of introspection. They're continuing to latch onto this. By the way, we also know how this theory leads to violence because whether it's El, El Paso, the shooting in New Zealand, the mass shooting there, this has been cited repeatedly by mass shooters as the motivation for violence which was part of the point with the, when the ADL confronted Tucker Carlson about this. Right. Uh, and so I was going to ask you, what what influence or impact uh, do you think Fox News has had in the spreading of this of this theory, this doctrine, or whatever you want to call it? It's, I mean, it's Tucker, but it, not just Tucker, correct? Yeah, it's Tucker, but it's also, I think Laura Ingram uh, plays a big part. She was in uh, the piece that I wrote, uh, this morning, talking about how 
Democrats want to replace you, the American voters, with you know new uh, immigrants uh, who who aren't like you. So I think Laura Ingram, Jean Pirro, Janine Pirro, it, it's really been incorporated. You, you know, Tucker Carlson. I, I think Laura Ingram probably was on this before Tucker Carlson, to be mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, but I think Tucker Carlson is, has taken such a big stage in Fox News that he's pushing it and it gets incorporated, you know, throughout basically throughout all their programming. Uh, How about the role of Donald Trump, who certainly, uh, while on one side, he uh, at some point condemned white supremacism at the same time, he was welcoming their support. Right. And uh, kind of looking the other way. Yeah, I I think Trump was really at the vanguard of this. He has been possibly slightly less direct in using the replacement rhetoric, but he set the stage for this, talking about immigration as an issue for of survival for the West, meaning that the if you allow immigrants in, your entire culture and nation will be destroyed. I mean, that was really the basis of his his campaign and his presidency. Then he brought in Stephen Miller, who right. was a big proponent of that the racist novel that I that really encapsulates this whole theory, the Camp of the Saints. Uh, Steve Bannon, same thing, brought Steve Bannon in. And they really started to basically take this theory and translate it into executive action with the Muslim ban uh, and with other very restrictive immigration policies, child separation, all of this, it doesn't make sense, but there's a logic to, if you believe that this is an invasion, that there is a plot to take over the country and that it's going to destroy the country because somehow the country is based on this idea of, of a white majority, well, then, then these very extreme steps start to start to make sense. So I, I do think that Trump played a, a large role. One thing I find a little, I think some people find hard to connect is, and as you point out, in France, this was related to immigration, immigrants from North Africa, particularly Muslims. You know, in this country, it was directed a lot toward, particularly because of Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon and Donald Trump, toward immigrants from Latin America. Yet, the target in Buffalo were African Americans, were Black Americans. What's the stretch there? What's the link? Well, because I think from the outset, it's been about the preservation of whiteness and of the white majority. So both non-white immigrants, mm-hmm. and that, but also African Americans themselves pose a threat to that. And 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 they're related in a way. Uh, and Tucker Carlson actually talked about this with the Immigration Act of 1964, which he described as one of the worst attacks on America in our history. And what that did was it relaxed some of these very severe immigration quotas that were largely based on race that mm. ensured that immigrants were largely white people from North and Western Europe, Northern and Western Europe. Yeah. After the Immigration Act of 1964, you started to see more immigration from Asia, from 
Africa, from South America, where not all of the immigrants were white. So it is it it does play out in different in different ways. Uh, but I think there is a fundamental uh, connection around white identity, and that's why it's a conspiracy theory that's associated with white nationalism. Right. Uh, so the other big, one other big issue dominating the news for the last 10 days or so uh, has been the Supreme Court uh, and the leak of this opinion by uh, Justice Alito uh, indicating that the court uh, they've got enough votes, Clarence Thomas and Alito and three others, to overturn Roe v. Wade. In your newsletter, Judd, you talk about an aspect of this that I don't think anybody else has, and that is the amazing amount of support that American corporations have provided to anti-abortion political committees. I mean, there is a f- money-driven political side to this issue um, that is pretty stunning. What did you find out? Well, a lot of this is about looking at where the big corporate dollars are spent. And and one of the things that I do, you know, in my newsletter, but I think it's also endemic of a lot of the coverage is we're looking at this money that's spent directly with candidates because that's what's up front. That's what we see. Yeah. But really, but those, those contributions are pretty limited you know, 5,000, 10,000 a cycle. There are these 527 committees, um, the Republican Governors Association, the Republican State Leadership Committee. Uh, These are the groups that have been working systematically year after year after year to put Republicans in control of the state legislatures and governors. And there you see corporations spending millions of dollars. We, we just looked at 13 corporations only since 2016, and we found that those 13 corporations had spent $15 million just on these major committees that are principally responsible for installing anti-abortion politicians mm-hmm. at the state level and the federal level, because it obviously takes there's been a lot of focus on the Supreme court. That's obviously extremely important and they're about to, it appears overturn a constitutional right. But the, the impact of this is because you have Republican legislatures paired up with a Republican governor who are passing these very extreme abortion bans. And they have these trigger laws in place that will snap into effect when Rose overturned. And that's, that's the work of these committees that really made that possible. And that's where the corporations uh, and that corporate money is is so important. So uh, I have the list in, in front of me. And just to share with uh, our listeners here on the Bill Press Pod, uh, I think they may be surprised to hear some of the ones that you identified. Again, these are contributions to these three committees, the Republican Senate Committee, the G- Republican Governors Association, and the Republican State Leadership, which is state legislative races, right? That's right. So, so we're talking Amazon. plus. CVS, $1.4 million. AT&T, $1.4 million. You know, you're not surprised at Walmart, but CVS and Amazon, General Motors, $2.4 million. I mean, these are very highly respected kind of mainstream American corporations. You don't think of them as having a right-wing agenda. 
But yeah, that's that's right. And what I think we've seen is the Republican Party on a lot of these issues, abortion being one of them, has become radicalized and corporations have not changed their giving. Habits. Right. Yeah. And so they're continuing to do it. And one thing that's important about most of this money, um, not the money that's given to the National Republican Senatorial Committee, but the, the the governors and the state legislative races. This isn't normally for federal spending. It, mm-hmm. it has to be voluntary contributions from employees. They go into a pack and then the company kind of doles them out. So you don't have to participate if you don't want to. This money that's going to the Republican Governors Association and the state legislative committee, um, these six-figure, seven-figure donations, that's directly from corporate treasuries. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's money that that is coming directly from the corporation to these. So it, it's it's quite significant in that respect. And don't some of these companies at the same time uh, have a policy that says, oh, we respect our employees. We take care of our women employees, especially, and we're concerned about their health care. Uh, and at the same time, you know, they're giving this money away to anti-abortion committees. Yeah. I, you know, Amazon, I think, is a perfect example. Its CEO, uh, Andy Jassy, you know, came out with a statement saying, you know, a while ago saying they're the company's committed to gender equality and empowerment in the workplace and in communities. And even after, or I think it was announced the same day as the decision came out. So it may have kind of been anticipating this. Amazon is saying they will pay for their employees to travel to out of state to get an abortion if they need to. You know, which is which is fine. I don't think yeah. it's a systemic solution to the to the issue, but it's right. it's fine. But at the same time, they are funding the politicians that make these abortion bans possible. So I do think that there's a lot of hypocrisy around the rhetoric that these corporations use because they're not matching that with their political donations. Their political donations are going the other way. Uh, and it, it, it's also true, isn't it, that these are the same, well, the people that these committees are supporting, if they're responsible at the state level for laws that would ban abortion in their states, they're also responsible for the ones that would suppress voting rights, right, Which or, or which may attack uh, the LGBT community, uh, all kinds of repressive state laws. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, if anything, the Republican State Legislative Committee, they support anti-abortion candidates. They don't, and and they've been critical in putting them in office. They don't talk about that issue that much, but they're very vocal on, especially since 2020 on restricting voting. Uh, They've supported all sorts of um, voting restriction measures. They had a committee there. They actually were constructing a lot of the legislative language that got put in. So the extremely uh, active in voter suppression legislation and also anti-LGBTQ legislation as well. All right. Now, uh, uh, we're talking about corporate money. I remember uh, right after January 6th, uh, there were uh, uh, dozens of corporations that said, oh, man, this is important. We are not going to give 
any more money to any of those Republicans who voted to overturn the election on the evening of January 6th, of whom there were, as we know, right, 147, 139 Republicans in the House and eight Republican senators. Um, how how um, carefully are these corporations sticking to that promise, Judd? Well, that's something we've spent a lot of time with. <laughs> Bill. Uh, so, I know. so we've been we've been tracking that um, really for the last year and a half, almost year and a half now. And I'm glad you have been. Yeah. So. <laughs> and and I'll say that it it's a situation that's continuing continuing to get less and less. I continuing to feel less and less optimism that that these mm-hmm. pledges will will have any staying power. I mean, some there, of them have actually reversed, right? Yes. Uh, there, there are there are a few dozen companies that have maintained their pledges, and so I, mm-hmm. I don't think we should overlook that because that is something that is significant. But you yep. do have a number of companies that were very vocal after January sixth about how the members of Congress who made this vote. That's not consistent with their values. They're cutting off donations to those folks. Um, AT&T was one of those. Cigna was one of those. Comcast, uh, Eli Lilly, General Electric, all of those fall into that category and then have subsequently reversed and started donating both to individual members who voted to overturn the election on January 6th and then also the committees like the NRCC, that the House, the Republican House Committee, that's supporting everyone who voted to overturn the election collectively. So it, there are a number of companies that have, have backslid on that. What's interesting is not really much has changed. It's not you might be able to understand it more if the people who voted against against the election results against. Uh, certifying the election results, then subsequently said, you know what, now that it's been a year and and Trump Mm -hmm. is still going around claiming the election was stolen, like that was really a mistake that this was, I would never do that again. No one is saying that everyone is standing by their vote, but it's just the corporations that are changing their policies. Yeah. Right. Didn't last very long. Didn't last very long for sure. (laughs) I'm going to take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, but You've recently got into a, a dust-up with the governor of Florida <laughs> Correct. over over math books, among other things. Uh, let's talk about that when we come back. Uh, our guest, uh, Judd Lakeham, who is uh, the founder and uh, what shall we call you, the principal editor or of? Yeah, of author. The, author. 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 Yeah. I like that. <laughs> author uh, of, the, uh, of the newsletter, Popular Information, here on the Bill Press Podcast. Hey, friends, for today's sponsor, I want to give a shout out and a plug to the newsletter we're talking about, Popular Information, founded by Judd Legum. Uh, I encourage you to do what I did. First of all, you can get it for free uh, if you go to the uh, th- their link, popular.info, popular.info. You can get it for free, but I encourage you to do what I did. Sign up for it. It costs you 50 bucks a year. And that's worth it to support good accountability journalism, good independent journalism uh, in this country. Popular information, it's a great way to start your day. As Judd Legum says, 
It's for news. It's news for people who give a damn. And you give a damn, so do the right thing and subscribe. And thank you. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And we're back. Our guest today, a good friend, a longtime friend, Judd Legum. Uh, he used to head up Think Progress at the Center for American Progress. Now he's got his own Great uh, newsletter out there, Popular Information. I encourage you to subscribe as I have uh, and get the uh, very good insights into the news of the day from Judd every morning. So, uh, so, uh, Judd, again, welcome back. And you and Ron DeSantis got into it uh, a couple of days ago about uh, math textbooks. He, uh, of course, banned some 54 math textbooks in Florida because he, he said they were teaching things like uh, critical race theory uh, and other stuff. What's the truth behind this? Yeah, I was fascinated by this because this was this is April 15th and, and DeSantis and the Florida Department of Education come out and they say, we've reviewed these math textbooks and they're full of critical race theory and we've rejected yeah. 54 of them. And then DeSantis himself said that that these concepts, indoctrinating concepts like race essentialism were especially bizarrely included for elementary school students. So I just couldn't believe, as as the father of an elementary school student, <laughs> I just couldn't believe where that could possibly come up in an elementary school uh, mm. textbook. Particularly um, a math book, right? A, a math book, yeah, not, not yeah. history or something like that, social studies. So it's been a process. You know, uh, a while ago we, we obtained eight or nine of these books we looked through them couldn't find anything but you know that wasn't all 54 mm -hmm. so we couldn't say anything definitive except that the ones we saw we can't understand what they're talking about but then uh, very quietly uh, just a few days ago uh, last week the florida department of education and this was pursuant to a freedom of information act request released about five thousand pages where you can see the review of every single textbook, both the ones that were uh -huh. accepted and rejected. So we looked at 
just the ones that were rejected for elementary school students. Right. And in each case, they ask the reviewer, is there any CRT in this textbook? And so we're going through each one and every one. It's very clear. They all say no CRT evident, no CRT concepts, no CRT present. Each one, there's actually were 16 separate reviews of these elementary school math textbooks. Mm -hmm. And every one explicitly said that there was no CRT. So that that's what just pointing that out. That's what actually made uh, made the Florida Department of Education and, and Ron DeSantis's communications team uh, upset. So uh, DeSantis was lying to the to the American people and to the people of Florida. Absolutely, uh, he, I don't see any justification for for what he was saying. It was quite a dramatic and extreme claim. And really, now that we have the the primary source material, the reviews, we see that actually the opposite was true. They did look for critical race theory. They found none. They found none. Yeah. So two plus two equals four is somehow critical race theory. I mean, is that? that Well, they're just so bizarre. Just to humor them uh, for for uh, time to because I spent some time talking to them on the phone. Here is what their claim is, and we can let your listeners decide if this makes any sense. In addition to answering the question, is there any CRT mm-hmm. in the textbook? They also rated compliance or rated alignment from a scale of one to five. Four was good alignment. Five was very good alignment. So a few of the people who who answered the question, no CRT present, for instance, also rated it a four for good alignment instead of a five for very good alignment. So what mm. the DeSantis folks say is that that, in fact, is evidence of CRT, which is absolutely crazy. And my what I asked them and what I'm still waiting for is, if that's the case, that's fine, but just send me the portion of these textbooks that you are claiming is critical race theory. You know, that just said, just what have you found? You know, you know, you so you could say, okay, it's a four, there's critical race theory there. Okay, well, where is it? You know, that, yeah. that's really the question that they have an answer. Right. Uh, now, DeSantis is, of course, uh, equally well known, um, f- liked or disliked, for his taking on Disney. Disney uh, that dared uh, criticize uh, his uh, so called don't say gay law, which he signed. Um, uh, Disney came out in opposition to it and say they were afraid it might spread to other states. Uh, and DeSantis retaliated by taking down a tax deal that Disney had originally been granted, rightfully or wrongly. They've had it since 1967, a pretty sweet deal uh, when it comes to uh, controlling their own property there. Um, isn't, I mean, how do you rate this with DeSantis? What's behind him? And this is uh, certainly unusual for a Republican politician to take on. Uh, a big business, certainly one with a reputation of a Disney, right? It is a new tactic. Uh-huh. But I, I think that DeSantis sees a, a lot of political advantage in this. In taking on Disney. In taking on Disney uh, because Disney, you know, it, it's interesting because I think objectively, Disney did very little meaningful to oppose the don'ts they gave. Oh, right. They didn't they didn't put out a statement until after it had passed the House and the Senate. It only cleared the Senate by three votes 
Mm-hmm. So, so it was a close vote in the Senate. A, a strong statement by Disney prior to that vote might have made a difference. But once it was headed to DeSantis's desk, you know, th- that was that. You know, this was DeSantis's yeah. bill. There was no chance. But after that, then it came out with the statement. And but I think DeSantis sees an opportunity to make an example of them to say that they're going to stand up to woke corporations. And, you know, he's the guy who can take on, um, you know, this 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 contagion mm-hmm. and and that's what he's and that's what he's that's what he's doing um and i think that you're gonna see a lot more of it now the same folks also continue to accept money from the corporations that they attack you know including DeSantis. Mm-hmm. but th- i think publicly it, it resonates it's part of sort of the the trump style populism and by that i mean the phony style of populism right but we remember that Pat Robertson also took on Disney, right? Because they allowed the gay pride parade, and and right. that, that 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 seems to, you know, be like the underbelly of uh, DeSantis's attack. And Ted Cruz has said things like that too. Is that is there kind of a campaign to accuse Disney of being basically pro homosexuality or promoting the gay lifestyle? Yeah, I think it's it's more than that. I mean, you have. Hmm. Folks in DeSantis's, you know, his communications director saying that this is about grooming children, which is, of course, one of the one of the classic, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, smears against uh, the LGBTQ community is, right. is the claim that that that's what they're that they're predators. Um, so so, yeah, I think it is it's it's just a it's a reinvention. It's a rebranding of these cultural grievances. Uh, that that maybe some folks, uh, and sometimes I think I've found myself falling in this trap, thought that as a society, perhaps we had moved on from some of this. But um, you know, it's it's back in in a in a pretty big big way. Just a few years ago, I don't think you saw these kind of sustained direct attacks um, on on gender and sexuality issues. Uh, no, and as you point out too, it, it is a new tack for Republicans certainly to to come out. You know. Anti-corporation, anti-business. Uh, yeah. At, at AW, do you think the uh, last I saw, Disney has about seventy-seven thousand employees? Do you think there could be uh, a backlash with all the revenue and tourists uh, revenue that they provide to Florida and tourism tourists that they bring to Florida? Well, I think that's another reason why DeSantis probably picked Disney as the as the company to attack in this mm-hmm. way is that unlike some companies that maybe just have a headquarter building or or something else that's a little more um, fungible, you know, they've got that huge Disney World campus. So there there's there's very little they can do. They're there. You know, they can't they can't move Disney World. They can't move Epcot Center and everything else. So there's there's very little risk of Florida losing those those jobs. Is it you know, it could end up being politically unpopular. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think certainly some of these more extreme measures. You know, whether it's the LGBTQ stuff, whether it's the abortion stuff, I, I don't think poll uh, very uh, very well. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more about. You know, I think for DeSantis, it seems like he may not be as concerned about what does it say about his next run for governor in Florida as. How are you going to attract the GOP base for a for a run for president? And so for that, it may be it may be pretty helpful for him. 
so do you agree with uh, Rich Lowry's uh, uh, recent piece in the New York Times that uh, Ron DeSantis is the, quote, new Republican Party? Well, I think Lowry was attempting to make a, a real distinction between DeSantis and, and Trump. Uh, you know, in right. some ways, DeSantis is more savvy, but he I don't think he's any more honest. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure how new. I'm not sure how new this is. Um, it's it's a little different, right? Uh, but after Trump, he seems to be the most popular uh, Republican politician in the country t- today. I, I think. I think that's absolutely. I think what he does is professionalizes to some degree a lot of the tactics that t- Trump showed can be effective in Republican politics and in, 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 in certain circumstances, um, moving to a general election. Well, yeah. And now just a sign of how, um, how many different topics you cover and how widespread is your reach with, uh, the newsletter, uh, John, I want to ask you, uh, about the richest man on the planet, Elon Musk, because you've also been writing about him. Here's a man who well, depending on the time of day, he wants to buy Twitter and has made an offer and then he backs down and then he comes back again. But he says he's doing so to champion free speech. He's painting himself as a champion of free speech on the planet. Uh, how real is that is that claim? Yeah, this has been really interesting because he's he's very insistent on that. One thing yeah. that I that kind of struck my interest is what he says is that he only wants to restrict speech to the extent that there are laws restricting speech, which, of course, is not really what the First Amendment is about. <laughs> you know, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law. So if you're for free speech, it, it shouldn't matter what the law is. Right? You, you have that right to speak regardless. Good point. Right. Um, it, but it's particularly interesting when you look at his relationship with China, which is a huge market. Uh, for for Tesla, most of the Teslas are made there overall, and it's also he's allowed to sell cars in China. Mm-hmm. But the reason is is that he has essentially acceded to their demands about what he should say and how he should act oh, mm-hmm. um, in in the country. Right. So he's not for free speech necessarily in China. If China doesn't, right? Doesn't I, I like think it. he's been pretty clear about that, that. That he doesn't see anything wrong with just going by whatever the rules of that country are, and you know that's how he's that's how he's operated uh, in China all the way up to there was a report in in Bloomberg, I believe, that. He actually there there was there's been uh, on, in a number of occasions so a lot of hubbub among Chinese consumers of Tesla that there were some issues with the car the safety of the car I, I have no idea if there really were issues or not I've never driven a, a Chinese Tesla or or any Tesla but um, but he went so far as to or the company did to ask Chinese censors to shut down some of this criticism on on Chinese social media. Uh, mm-hmm. companies and Chinese social media networks. So it, the, his his commitment to making money is certainly very strong. I think his commitment to free speech <laughs> uh, is is at best TBD. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's wrap here. Tell us about the um, tell us about the newsletter. Uh, when did you start it? How did you start it? Why did you start it? 
Well, you know, as, as you mentioned, I, I was at Think Progress. Uh, it had grown to a staff of about 40 people. I found I was spending a lot of time managing people, doing paperwork, doing administrative stuff. And I really missed uh, just doing the research, doing the writing, doing the, the work that I enjoyed. So I wanted to transition to something where I could do more of that. So I started uh, in July of uh, 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. And since then, with with a couple of uh, weeks a year, I take off. But other than that, it comes out four times a week, uh, and we try to try to dig into documents, get get our hold, get a hold of whatever we can, whatever information we can, and, and give some new perspective on some of these issues. We focus a lot on accountability journalism. Corporation is saying this. Yeah. Okay, what are they doing? Elon Musk is saying this. Okay, what's he doing? Uh, because I think that's something that often uh, is missing. We hear a lot about what powerful people are saying they're doing, but we're not always checking and and looking at what the reality is. Yeah, uh, I love your slogan, uh, news for people who give a damn. <laughs> uh, so how can people find you uh, and and sign up? So they can go to popular.info. Popular.info. Um, yep. There you go. Um, well, we thank you so much, Judd, for what you're doing. Uh, and thank you for uh, taking time to join us today on the Bill Press Pod. Keep up the great work. We'll be following you. And um, we'll talk again soon. Yep. Hope to do so. Nice talk to you. And that's it for today's podcast with Judd Legum. A big thanks to Judd for taking time to join us. Thanks to all of you for listening. There will be a link, of course, to sign up for the newsletter, Popular Information in the episode notes to today's podcast, Popular Information. And we'll be back on Friday with our Reporters Roundtable. I know you all look forward to that. Lots to talk about this week. We already know we'll be talking more about the aftermath of the Buffalo Massacre, including the President and the First Lady's visit to Buffalo, also the President's trip to Southeast Asia, And, of course, we'll be looking at the results of the Republican primary elections this week in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Oregon, and Idaho. Wow. Big Reporters Roundtable on Friday. Meanwhile, take care of yourselves. Be strong. Be safe. And come back and see us Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.